This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Coming up on today's future award-winning Moranalytics podcast, episode 175, I have a conversation with Del Reed, co-founder of Bill's Mafia, also the founder of 26 Shirts. And speaking of Bill's Mafia, we're going to spend some time talking about that today. Not just the fan base, but the actual term Bill's Mafia. House become one of the most recognizable brands, not just in football, not just in sports, but in all of social media. At this point, if you're a Buffalo Bills fan, you already know what I'm telling you. So we talk about that. Some of the great things he continues to do at 26 Shirts, helping out very worthy causes. We discussed Pancho Bilia passing away this year. Of course, Del Reed was very close to him, so I get his insight on how that affected him. We talk about the 2019 Buffalo Bills. Plenty more really good stuff coming up with Dell. Also later on in this episode, I pay homage to Buffalo Bills general manager Brandon Bean in the fine job that he continues to do constructed a team that is just frankly speaking here exceeding a lot of people's expectations so good show coming up for you get started in just a second before i get to that though i do want to let you know today's show is being supported by 26 shirts dell's company different buffalo theme design at 26 shirts is sold every two weeks and then bam presto that shirt vanishes into thin air it's gone Here's the best part about 26 shirts. For every shirt that they sell, they make a donation to either a local family in need or to a worthy charity. Whatever is going on with that campaign, they help them out. Since 2013, their designs have managed to raise and donate. Get this number, folks. $670,000. That's crazy. Incredible. Dell, his crew, they continue to do amazing things. Enriching the lives of many people. You just love to see it. And not to mention, and by the way, I talk about this with Dell in the podcast a little later on. It's one thing to donate to a worthy cause, but you're getting something back out of it because these shirts, these designs, they're cool as hell, man. They're comfy. They're sporty. They look great on you. Head over to 26shirts.com. See what cause you could help this week. And on that note, let's do the pod. Let's do it. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moranalytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. All right, what's going on, podcast fans? How you doing? What's up? Welcome to episode 175. Thank you as always for listening, for downloading. If you've not yet subscribed to this podcast, please go ahead and do that right now. 
rating review really helps me continue to grow this show. Going to have Del Reed on for you in just a couple minutes. Later on, I'm going to pay homage to Brandon Bean, Buffalo Bills general manager, who's done such an outstanding job of constructing his team basically in one off season. It's just, it's been fun to see. Tell you what, it's just been a fun week for Buffalo sports, period. Even going to the UB football bulls, they won this weekend, won their seventh game. They're going to the Bahama Bowl to play Charlotte. So props to the UB football. That'll be fun to watch. That's going to be on December 20th, of course. The big news is Buffalo beating Dallas on Thanksgiving. Let's go to 9-3 on the season. We talked about that on the show. Friday's podcast, I had Bill Kenny on from the 716 Sports Podcast. We broke that game down. That was a lot of fun to do. So if you haven't listened to that, go back in the archives to the last episode. Go check that out. Just a fun time to be a Buffalo Bills fan. And by the way, how about that game in Pittsburgh in two weeks being flexed? So no more one o'clock game at Pittsburgh. Week 15, that's going to be Sunday night football. Collinsworth, Al Michaels, NBC, Sunday night, 820. That's going to be really cool. I'll tell you, the Bills are, uh, fans are interested in the Bills. You saw the ratings. Thanksgiving, that was the CBS's Thanksgiving, 27 years, I think it was. Highest rated Thanksgiving game on CBS Sports in 27 years. So yeah, Bills equal numbers. Bills being good, equal opportunity. And that's exactly what they're going to do in two weeks on Sunday night. Big game against Pittsburgh. Obviously, before they get to that, a very big game at home this coming Sunday against the Baltimore Ravens. By the way, on Friday's show, I'm going to have Lindsay O'K, who's an NFL blogger based in Baltimore. She knows plenty about the Ravens. So I'll be talking to her on Friday's show. Just a heads up, get you ready for that game. I'll tell you, you know, we're thinking wild card right now. The Bills are sitting at nine and three, but let's dream a little bit here. Let's dare to dream because if the Bills somehow can manage to knock off the Baltimore Ravens in Orchard Park on Sunday, which is going to be no small task. So let's not kid ourselves here. Baltimore very well may be the best team in the entire NFL, but it is in Buffalo. It is December. The Ravens, just like the Bills, have a quarterback who has not played in many of these types of games. And who knows? If the Bills can manage to knock off Baltimore, and meanwhile, New England who lost to Houston this past Sunday night. If they could lose at home to Kansas City, which is, I don't want to call it likely, but it's certainly possible, that's for sure. If that happens, and if the Bills can handle business the following week in Pittsburgh, which they could do, you're talking week 16, Saturday, December 21st, 4.30 p.m., the nation watching, the Buffalo Bills at the New England Patriots, quite possibly for the AFC East division title. And beyond that, a first round bye. And beyond that, the best record in the AFC. That's right. It sounds crazy, and it very well may be. For a team like the Bills, where for 17 years they didn't even make the playoffs. 18 of the last 19, we'll all be happy just to see them get in the playoffs as a wild card. But if you really want to dream big and be at least semi-realistic here, and I don't feel like I'm not being that, if the Bills can knock off Baltimore 
and New England loses at home against Kansas City, certainly possible. You're talking, again, the Bills, that's providing they would beat Pittsburgh as well the following week and that they would beat the Jets at home in week 17, which that's, uh, that's going to happen. All right, I'm confident in that at least. But that week 16 game in Foxborough on Saturday at 430 could potentially be, not potentially, it would be for the AFC East divisional crown, a buy in the playoffs, and the top seed in the playoffs. The Buffalo Bills could win out especially if they obviously they got to beat Baltimore first, which is again, very, very difficult thing to do, but it could happen. They could end up facing New England in a couple weeks with the possibility of a number one seed in the entire AFC on the line. How crazy is that folks? Crazy. Uh, Buffalo Sabres. We're not going to really talk about them on the pod today. I'm sure I'll head up more on them on Friday. I'm taping this shortly before they play New Jersey. They're playing them Monday night. You know, they're, they're showing signs of life, at least. They got three or four points over the weekend against Toronto. They had an OT loss in Calgary or in Buffalo against Calgary. The game before that, little improvement. You know, they're not dead. You look at the standings. Yeah, and this has been a very bad turn for the Sabres over the last month following a very promising start. But as Again, as I tape this going into Monday night, they're only three games out of a wild card spot in the in the standings right now. It's not like the season's not salvageable. I mean, lots of things need to happen. Jason Bottrell certainly needs to start making a couple moves that really help solidify this roster because it badly needs help. I mean, it's Jack Eichel, a couple other guys, and not much else. The good news is Jack Eichel is absolutely turning into one of the best players in the NHL. 16 goals on the year, 35 points. Next closest guy to the team, 20 points. So the next closest guy, which is Sam Reinhart, 15 less points than Eichel. Eichel's been on fire. It's on a nine-game point uh, streak going into, again, Monday night's game against New Jersey. I don't know how that's going to play out, but 18 points he had in nine games in November. He's just doing too much alone. He, he really... He needs some help. So they got to figure out a way to get him. Jimmy VC's coming out a little bit. Three, he had a three-game scoring streak. It'd be nice if guys like Middlestat and Sherry started doing something because they're essentially giving the Sabres nothing. So hopefully they're still very much in the thick of a playoff race, which is a little too early maybe in the season to call anything a playoff race, but they're there. It's, that's my point. They're not buried. It's not a lost season. We're in early December. So hopefully this organization can make a couple moves and some of the guys that need to start playing better, start playing better. So anyway, fun week going on. Bills, Sabres, UB. I'm going to get into today's show right now. Very good interview. One of my good friends, Del Reed, such a good guy, such a valuable asset to the world of the Buffalo Bills. Bills Mafia, the term, which of course he helped start. He is an asset. I mean, that's the best word to describe it. He, he's very valuable to the foundation of Buffalo Bills fans. He does so much. This is a fun interview. So here it is right now, my interview with Del Reed. And then again, I'll be back after that because I got some comments about Bills general manager, Brandon Bean. Here we go. All right, my guest, recurring one here, is the founder of 26 Shirts, co-founder of Bill's Mafia. 
very good friend of this podcast, my man Del Reed. What's going on, buddy? How you doing? Hey, what's going on, my friend? I'm, I'm listen. I'm good, man. And I was talking to you before we started tape, and I said, kind of noticing a pattern here. Like every like six to eight months or so, I'm like, you know, how's Dell doing, man? I gotta hook up with him and uh, get him on the podcast so we can have a little bit of chat. Don't want you to get too distant from me. I always got to know what's up <laughs> with you, man. Yeah, no, I always appreciate the invite. I enjoy the conversation. You know, definitely. I always enjoy listening to your show. Yeah, and I'll tell you, last time we got together, actually it was in person. You were down here in Florida for an event. We'll talk about that more in a few, but we actually got to meet at a diner. We hooked up in Sarasota, had a breakfast. I think you ate like 20 pounds of something. <laughs> yeah, that was a bad idea that day. I recall that. That was uh, There were so many good things on the menu. I had to try a couple, so that was a, <laughs> that was a good time. Bad well, idea. Always, yeah. always a good time. Good chat with you. There were a couple of reasons why I wanted to get you on today. And let me start here with the first one. So over the course of this weekend, I taped a show, someone else's show with a guy named Matt Cundell. It's called the Hot Air Podcast. And this isn't a Buffalo Bills specific podcast. So I'm sure most Bills fans or people listening to this show have probably never heard of it. It's more of just a conversational thing. And he has certain um, specific subjects. Each show is different. Anyway, so I was a guest on his show and we were talking Buffalo Bills because Matt is a big, he's from Canada and he's a big Bills fan. So we talked about the organization going all the way back to the 70s and 80s through today. And there was a point in the podcast where he was talking to me about having a conversation with one of his buddies about branding and social media branding. And the guy asked Matt, when is the last time you can remember something that was branded so well exclusively through social media? And Matt's reply to that was, Bill's Mafia. So they got me thinking about you. I don't know if you've thought about this a lot or even at all, but can you think of anything else that has become such a big movement, such a big name, such a big thing branded so well that was done exclusively through the course of social media? I mean, not commercials, no big guerrilla marketing, no TV ads, no radio ads. This is a little thing. And we've talked about the, the origins of Bill's Mafia before, mm -hmm. but this was born on social media. You know, this is branded Bill's Mafia is a thing exclusively because of social media. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And it's, I think part of the, that, this is really interesting because, you know, when you invited me on the podcast, I didn't know what we were going to be talking about. So this is good. You're going to get all 100% organic thought on this. I've not really thought about it too much. I mean, I thought about the whole branding of it, but it, I've never thought about it as it's going on. Right. The whole, and I think that's part of the charm, you know, um, is that this wasn't some contrived attempt to build something out of nothing uh, or to gain some kind of social media noti notoriety. Um, it really was just something that was a, a, a throwaway joke on Twitter, you know, eight, nine years ago, and ended up sticking. And, and so, you know, as it's kind of grown and if people as people have embraced it yeah i guess there's been certain you know branding type things that we've done with it but none of it really intentional all accidental i don't have a marketing degree um i've been marketed to my whole life <laughs> so i have a little <laughs> right. bit of expertise on being being on that end but i don't have a marketing degree i don't have a business degree you know i'm a computer programmer by trade and it was really just something fun and it gained notoriety and we just continued to really just kind of follow where it led, you know, it's just, 
you know, we get a lot of credit for stuff, but really it, it's something that belongs to all Bills fans. And it's something that is just, uh, I don't know if zeitgeist is the word, but it's just something that if it wasn't Bill's mafia, it was going to be some other moniker because Bill's fans are just, they're so unique uh, among sports fandom. Um, and I'm not just talking about tables and tailgating. There's in all these different facets uh, of the, the fan experience, whether it's the giving or just the, the ride or die attitude. I mean, if you're a Bill's fan, you're not a bandwagoner because like, <laughs> you, right. you've been put through hell for however many years. Right. Um, and we're just now starting to deserve it, but you're not a bandwagoner. Like you, if you're a bills fan, you're a diehard. There's no casual bills fandom. And and so um, the whole mafia thing, if it wasn't that name that took off, somebody else was going to say some other term and it was going to become some kind of banner for, for fans to align under. Um, it just happened to be this, I think. Yeah, no question about it. And by branding, it wasn't so much you or Bree or Leslie that was sought out to make this, you know, a big time brand. It's the it's the fans like you talked about. They made it bigger. A lot of players had a part in that. And I want to ask you about that as well. All right, let's go here. So now back in episode and I'm going to put a link to it in the show notes. It was all the way back on episode 18 in this podcast. I had John for the first time and that whole interview was pretty much the entire origin of Bill's Mafia, how it came to be, where it started, and everything about that. So if people out there listening, you didn't catch that, again, I'll put a link in the show notes. Go back, listen to that, because that was really good stuff. But for people who might not do that, might not have the time or whatever, I do want to ask you, because again, on this podcast that I did, and thankfully, by the way, I had spoken with you a couple times on this podcast. So I was kind of armed with some information. Otherwise, I might have been pretty goddamn clueless about how this whole thing got so big and how it came to be. But for people listening right now, tell them how the Adam Schefter angle was involved with this, because obviously he <laughs> indirectly, and I've talked to Adam about this on this podcast and off the podcast, off the air as well, indirectly how Adam Schefter kind of played a role in this thing, getting legs to start with all the way back at the beginning. Oh, yeah, for sure. So, you know, the whole Stevie, Johnson tweet where he tweeted at God after dropping the pass against the Steelers uh, that would have won the game after, after that whole thing happened, uh, Bill's fans were kind of like just loving up on him. And, you know, uh, he, I mean, the week prior, he had three touchdowns against Cincinnati and in a season that started Oh, and eight, just seeing any player really stand out was so exciting. And then when it turned out to be, you know, a player that engaged with fans as much as Stevie does, I mean, it was love it you know, first sight. I mean, he'd been on the team for a couple of years, but you know what I'm saying? Right. Sure. Um, and, and so the next day, Adam Schefter retweets that God tweet after it's already made the, the rounds on national news. Cause back then Twitter was still a novelty. I think Twitter's probably, probably seen, I've seen it all now at this point, sure. you know? Uh, but in, in 2010, uh, it was a little different. So he retweets it, you know, the next day, probably like four 30 or something on that Monday. And back then Twitter kind of behaved differently. So that nowadays, if you follow somebody and they retweet it, uh, they retweet a tweet, uh, and then somebody else you follow retweets that same tweet, you don't see it. But right. back then, uh, you know, because every there was ten different Twitter clients, and they all would just show things differently. But pretty much all of the clients would show just the retweet over and over and over again. So when all of a sudden at four thirty p.m. the next day, you see Adam Schefter retweeting it, the guy who is supposed to be on top of. You know every news item, but he's the one that breaks most of the news in the yeah, NFL. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, for him to do that it was kind of just—it was kind of just ironic, you know. Uh, maybe that's the wrong term to use, but it was—it was funny. 
so, uh, you know, Bree and myself and Leslie and Ryan and Mike and a couple other guys on Twitter just started having fun with it. And Bree came up with that Schefter breaking news hashtag. And, you know, to this day, I'll swear, like we, we never has said anything that was nasty. I mean, the stuff that you see on Twitter nowadays, you know, that people are just so flippantly yeah. quick to, uh, to put out there. Like I, from what I recall, and I can speak at least to my feed, you know, um, there was nothing nasty or trolly going on there. It was just teasing, you know, and uh, a bunch of us ended up getting blocked. And so it was just kind of, it was kind of weird. It just seemed like a, uh, an overreaction. So that's why like six months later or whatever it was, I came up with the term Bill's mafia for the five or six of us that got blocked um, on a follow Friday. And uh, it just kind of like, it was just a joke that we had and, you know, we laughed and that was it. And then, you know, over the, we'd bring it up every, you know, month or so and just some random reference. Then eventually players noticed it and it started to become a thing and started to snowball, you know, very early on, you know, you know, Bree and Bree and I and, and, and Leslie, you know, we thought like, well, should we do something with this? You know, it was just, <laughs> and so, you know, we had the idea to sell t-shirts just that said Bill's mafia on them. Back then I didn't understand how intellectual property worked. <laughs> so they, right. You know, said <laughs> Bill's, you can't, if you listen to this, you're selling a shirt that has the word Bill's on it. Take, do yourself a favor, take it down. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. It's going to, it's not going to end well, right. but, um, so back then we were selling Bill's mafia shirts and we were giving the proceeds to, to Roswell park because it really was something where we did not set out to make money off our fellow fans. And we didn't, we weren't looking for like notoriety. Um, it just kind of was something fun to do. And it, you know, I've always been a t-shirt honk as I'm sure we'll probably get into in a few minutes, but like, that's always my go-to <laughs> thing. Is, I don't know. It's pretty like, what should we do? I'm like, I don't know. Let's, let's make a t-shirt, you know? <laughs> and, uh, Stevie Johnson is the one that actually suggested creating, creating the, at the bills mafia Twitter account. Uh, so we did that and then he told people to follow it. And now if you look at that account, it's got hundred something thousand followers on it. It's just, it's crazy. It is crazy. And I'll tell you, I get asked this all the time and I hear questions. Other people asking other people all the time, how did bills mafia start? It's just one of the most fascinating things to me not even so much. I mean, you've explained now ad nauseum, whether it's this podcast, many other shows, the origins of it and how it started. But what really fascinates me is how big it's gotten. It's getting to a point where I don't know anyone out there who ever says the term Bills fan. There's no such thing as Bills fan. There's no such <laughs> thing as Bills Nation or any of these other terms. It's Bills Mafia. I mean, you get players today in the draft. They get drafted and they're not writing, can't wait to get the Buffalo or I'm excited to see the fans. It's always hashtag Bills Mafia. Literally, that is like the Bills mantra now. And it's just incredible to me to see how much something like that has taken off. Now, I know, you know, a lot of fans helped brand this, whether it was intentionally or not. But there were a handful of players at that time early on, too, who really helped spread the word and get that name out there. Who were a couple of those guys? You did mention Stevie Johnson. Who were a couple of other guys who were really instrumental in helping expand this name and really get it out there to the masses. Yeah, dude. Uh, Nick Barnett was the first one. Uh, Stevie Johnson jumped on pretty quickly. Fred Jackson, Sean Merriman. This is this, all these names sound very 2011, don't they? Yeah. Um, but you know, those were probably the, the, Oh, Aaron Williams. Uh, those were the main ones out of the gate. It was funny. Aaron Williams, I think was the first player that followed me back, you know? And so I remember like literally exchanging texts with this guy, like, Oh my gosh, I'm texting the bill, texting a bills player, you know? Um, it was, it was kind of funny. So he had ideas for shirt designs and stuff. And my brother helped me out. I was trying to explain to him what the heck I was talking about. And 
so he you know he drew up a design for us and we used that for a little while we called that the aaron williams collab and and stuff but yeah it, it was it's you know so all the pretty much all the players that were social media savvy back then got into it and embraced it pretty early the the uh uh, Scott Chandler and his wife Alyssa, uh, they were super active on Twitter at the time, and they were part of it. So, you know, it was you know all the the 2011 key players that were on Twitter. You know, Fitz not being one of them, were re- really started to use the term. Yeah, and even to this day, again, it just blows my mind how it's a uh, it's part of the culture now. The Buffalo Bills culture is that people aren't regarded as fans anymore; they're regarded as Part of the mafia. When you ask somebody, "Are you a Bills fan?" Then people don't say that no more. That's like, "Yo, you part, you part of the mafia? You you in Bills mafia?" It's just it never ceases to amaze me hearing that, and I I think it's awesome. I want to move on to a couple other things. One thing that's definitely changed, and this is very sad and very unfortunate and tragic. Since I last had you on in March of this year, was Ezra Catcher, of course, better known mm-hmm. as Pancho Billia. Sadly, he passed away this year. Mid-May, I know that you had an amazing relationship with him and you were very close to him. How hard was that for you when you found out the news of what was happening? I'm, I, I can only imagine that there was a very tough pill for you to have to swallow, along with, of course, obviously, many other Bills fans. But again, you were close to this guy. He was a special guy. Yeah, um, I remember he called me uh, the day before he went into hospice. and. Everybody who's had a sick loved one or just pays attention to what's going on. Like, I, I mean, I'm sure it happens, but normally when people go into hospice, they don't go out of hospice, right. you know? So he called, he called me, you know, the day before he went in, I think, I've, I mean, I think he probably called a hundred people that day. You know, I, I don't know. He called me. Well, though. yeah, you were one of them. Uh, and, sure. and yeah, he, uh, just called and said, you know, I, I want you to know I'm taking my fight into hospice and I'm always going to remember that because it just, it was a real testament to his character, who he was, you know, he never gave up. He, he never gave up in that fight. He was just a really special guy, you know, and you know, he had this, this Twitter persona, but it wasn't a Twitter persona. It was him. You know, that was really who he was. You know, he wasn't any kind of fake guy. I mean, he wore, a, yeah, sure. He wore a mask and an outfit, but what was funny about Ezra is he would put on that outfit, but he was the same person with or without that stuff on. You know what I mean? It wasn't just like, he put right. it on and now, oh, now I'm Pancho Villa. It, 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 it was just, it was, he was the same guy, you know, Clark Kent and Superman all the same at the same time, you know, um, he, was, he was, yeah. he was special. And, you know, I really do. It's, oh, there's been a, a bunch of times this season because this is the best Bill season that, you know, they've had since forever. And I really thought, you know, how awesome it would be if he was a part of it. And the Bill's playing in Dallas this year, you know, this week kind of sucks that he couldn't go to that. He couldn't be a part of that. He couldn't see this happen, at least not on this side of eternity, you know? Sure. But yeah, he's a, he's a special guy, you know? And, you know, we've continued to to sell the shirt with his likeness that continues to give to his family. And I told Veronica that we are, I am always there for her and her family. And I, I loved him and I love her and his kids and anything I can ever do to help. I am always here no matter what. I did make a promise to him in that conversation <laughs> he was uh he was a bigger than life kind of guy you know and uh he said mm-hmm. i have one last request for you he says i'm like all right what's, what is it what you know what, what you know i thought he was like go for my family or do this he's like i want to be on a mural <laughs> in the city of buffalo <laughs> i just remember laughing go man you 
you go to the hospice, man, you go hard. You're still going hard. You know, he wasn't like, he was, he's like, listen, basically what he was saying was, listen, I'm going to die. I'm just going to say it. I want to be on a painting in Buffalo on the side of a building. So that's my goal. I don't know how that's going to play out. My goal is, you know, my plan has been to kind of wait until after the football season, just because we did all the poncho packs and we've done all these other things around and the season kind of just happened. Um, but the poncho packs really took up like most of my summer uh, in terms of, you know, as related Ezra related activities. So uh, this year, you know, this off season, the goal is to identify a, a an artist and find a place to put a mural. I have no idea how I'm going to do that. Well, I'll but, tell you, I, I'm very confident that you're going to, if there's someone out there who's going to make it happen, I'm really confident that it's going to be you. And I'll tell you what, at, at the risk of being corny, cliche, whatever you want to call it, sappy, I do feel like, although physically he's no longer here, I do feel like he's played a role in this season because there's no question about how the players felt about him. I mean, we saw a lot of the tribute videos. We saw Harrison Phillips. We've seen speeches in the locker room. We know that he meant a lot, not just to other Bills fans, but that he meant a lot to this organization as well. I mean, they literally honored him before a game this year. They mean a lot to Mm -hmm. him. And I kind of feel like his spirit has really embodied this team this year. And in some small ways, he is still there when Mm -hmm. it comes to that. Now, you mentioned the backpack thing. One of his last requests was he asked people, um, wish and honor his memory that they would donate backpacks and school supplies to students in need. And the result is you have come up with uh, the idea for the teacher's desk. And like, I think like a hundred grand or something crazy like that mm-hmm. was donated. Thousands of backpacks were, were donated because of that. That's a pretty special thing, man. You gotta be really proud of that. That's a, that's a lot of people, a lot of kids to be helping. Yeah. yeah. And again, I get a lot of credit for other people's generosity. You know, um, I just have happen to have, I guess a lot of Twitter followers, you know? So like, I try to like get the message out, but really like I, that wasn't a hundred thousand dollars of my money. I mean, I gave towards it just like everybody else, but really it's a credit to all Bills fans. Um, and you know, Jonah Javad used to be with WGRZ in Buffalo. Now he's with the, the, the the affiliate station in, in, in Dallas. Um, right. He, uh, he, Ezra had expressed that to him. And so then, you know, Jonah tweeted about it and then he called me, you know, the, the night after Ezra died and said, listen, I need your help putting this together. I said, let's do it. And I had, I was envisioning like, cause you know, I thought maybe people could drop backpacks off at the 26 shirts office. And then I was like, well, that might get a little hairy. I don't have that much space really to store. Sure. You don't know what's going to happen. And so not to get too, you know, you said corny or spiritual or whatever, but I prayed, I'm like, you know, God, show me the best way to do this. You know, how, how, how is the best, what's the best way I can, I can do this to honor Ezra and, uh, ended up, somebody suggested the teacher's desk and they had the whole infrastructure in place. So that way you don't have me collecting backpacks and pencils and notebooks. And, you know, like they had a whole infrastructure in place. And so I reached out to this guy, John Mika, uh, who runs teacher's desk, awesome guy, big heart, told him about the thing. He said, yeah, I heard about it. And, you know, people actually talked to me about it. He said, but I'll wait to see if somebody brings it to me. I don't want to interject. I'm like, well, here I am. <laughs> so <laughs> it was pretty great. And so teacher's desk, like I said, they had the infrastructure. They're a nonprofit. That's kind of what they do. And we just said, all right, let's blast it. I did everything I could with, you know, my social media presence. And Jonah did the same with his and teacher's desk did with theirs. And it was awesome. You know, like it was, you know, for they because they have so many contracts or so many agreements with these different school supply manufacturers that they're able to assemble a backpack that can serve a kid for an entire school year. 
Um, I think it was like 10 bucks or something like that for one backpack, if I remember correctly. And so you had somebody who would donate like a hundred bucks. It's like, boom, that's 10 backpacks, you know? And, and it yeah, just, that's and, you know, a hundred thousand dollars. I mean, think of how many people have to donate to reach that threshold, you know? And yeah. I think it just is a real testament to Ezra. Um, because like I said, he was authentic. Like that person you saw in interviews and on social media, that was Ezra, whether he had the wrestling mask on or not, like, that was always him all the time. And I think it's just a huge testament to him and to how he united Bills fans. And I think for years to come, he's going to be the face of Bills fans. And I think that, or I should say Bills Mafia, if I'm going back, you know, to, uh, to yeah, your, be your careful earlier, there, earlier points. <laughs> but um, he's right. the face of Bills Mafia. He's the, you know, he is, even though he's not um, a native Western New Yorker, man, he's got that Western New York city of brotherly love or city, oh, city of good neighbors. Sorry, Philadelphia. That, uh, City of Good Neighbors <laughs> DNA, like you know, flowing through his veins, and I think I think yeah, I couldn't think of somebody better to be the face of you know Bill's. Yeah, fandom. I completely agree with you. And look, I was very fortunate and blessed to have him on the show not once but twice. Two very long conversations. The second one was when he was starting to get worse; mm-hmm. he was deteriorating physically, but he still had that spirit that you speak of. And you're 100 percent right. He was Pancho Billia on camera and off camera because I talked to him way before, you know, before we taped and well after we taped. And yeah, he was the same. He really was the same person. Really great guy. And I, and I do, I miss him a lot. And and again, I feel like in some small way, this season is kind of, the, the Bills have been inspired yeah. by him. Oh, I do want, I want to, I want to talk about 20, oh, I'm sorry. I want to talk about 26 shirts for a couple of minutes here. Organization, a company I really love a lot. One of the show supporters here. In fact, your guy designed my new logo, mm-hmm. which Looks a lot better, a little more realistic. It shows my nice fat face and neck as opposed to me looking like a, like a good newsman. So at least this, this cartoon looks a little more like me. But in all seriousness, this just continues to be a great cause. And of course, everyone out there, if they're listening to this podcast, they know about 26 shirts. They know the deal. You have a shirt. It's out for two weeks. You sell the shirt. A portion of the sales go to help benefit somebody. And I'll tell you, right before we actually started taping, I went and I looked it up. You guys have now helped raise and donate $671,000 through 26 shirts. That's, that's unbelievable, brother. That's crazy. 671K. And obviously, that number keeps rising every day. This can't, look, it never gets old for you, does it? This has still got to be a great feeling. And having the creativity to come up with new designs. And to go out and help new people and new causes, this never gets old for you at all, does it? Uh, absolutely does not. You know, and even as someone with self-diagnosed ADD, by the time I get tired of looking at one design, it's another two weeks. You know what I mean? So for me, right. it's great. It's always like we're always refreshing it. And it's, it's a new family we're helping. And it's a new design we get to create, and it really is like I really do feel like I'm living this, um, living a dream. You know, not to sound too, you know, corny or whatever, but like this is amazing. Like we get to help these people who are in just crappy situations and, you know, you know, hopefully we're providing them besides, you know, whatever money we're able to raise, hopefully we're providing them with a little bit of, you know, feeling the love, you know, from other fans and seeing the tweets and the Facebook posts and the comments. And, you know, a lot of people buy the shirts specifically just to help the people that, that are, that benefit from them. So, I mean, that end of things, I mean, I can't think of a better way to spend my time 
you know, to, to have a vocation that just is basically all about helping others. You know, I just, it feels great. And I get to do it in a way that celebrates my love for the teams and getting, getting to work with Josh, you know, the guy who designed your logo and stuff like that, getting to work with him every day and the, the freelance artists that we work with, um, that creative process. Sometimes I feel, I feel guilty because it's so much fun having so much fun doing this, you know, and the mission is to help people, but I think it's a good balance. But yeah, dude, I mean, it's, it's insane. This is again, even like with, with Bill's mafia doing this as, um, as my primary, you know, job, uh, was never part of the plan. It was never in my intention. It was, you know, the thought I had was to leverage the Bill's mafia audience, um, for a year and to do just 26 different designs, you know, 26 shirts and just have that be the end of it, you know, like a one year community service project. You know, the demand was great, um, for the shirts, <laughs> for the designs, the demand was great for help. You know, there's so many people like, I, how can I only pick 26 people to help? And so it's just grown and Bill's fans have just embraced it and Sabres fans and Buffalo fans. And now we have Pittsburgh and Chicago designs. Um, just people have embraced it. And it really just, it means a lot, you know, to me to have, you know, to, and it's a responsibility as well. I'm going to ramble here for a second. I apologize, but it's, it's a, it's also a, a responsibility to, I feel yeah. that we have to make sure that the stuff we put out is the absolute best artwork we can put out. You know, it, we have to make sure that the designs that people want, it's, um, and the quality has to be great. I, I don't know. I just feel a real responsibility to do my absolute best I can with this endeavor because it just, you know, so much, I guess not to sound too dramatic, but so much hangs in the balance, you know, yeah, we can't no. mail it in. We can't mail it in. We can't just do like some crappy design just because we don't have time to think of a good one or we don't have any ideas. Like we have to come up with a good idea. We have to, you know, like there's been so many shirt designs that we've not published just because we didn't have confidence that it would do well. And that doesn't mean that everything single thing we, we put out does well, you know, it, it's a, it's like a roller coaster. Um, but I can tell you from the bottom of my heart that every shirt design we put out, I at least <laughs> have the intention for it to be the best design we've ever done. Or, or you know what I mean? Something like that. I, I hope that people are going to love it because it made the cut. You know what I mean? I don't know. Because it's, it's a responsibility. People people wait a year sometimes to actually finally get their shirt done. And I got to make sure that, yeah, it's just, quote, another shirt for us. But those people, you know, that family we're helping or that cause we're helping, they've been waiting their turn for however long. We got to make sure it. it, it you know, it's a good design. Yeah, I hear you, man. And I, you know, I always make it a point when I do an ad read or anything involving 26 shirts that I point that out. You know, it's one thing, like, I think a lot of Bill's fans or again, Bill's mafia would catch myself here. Now they'll buy <laughs> something regardless. There's a certain population I'm saying that would donate for any cause for anything. But the difference is, is with 26 shirts, these are cool ass shirts, man. They're comfortable. They're sporty. They look good on you. So that's, that's important. I mean, that makes me the average casual person who might be on the fence and they want to get something out of it for themselves too. When they purchase a shirt, they don't want to purchase an ugly shirt. They want it to look good. And I feel like that's one of the really cool things about 26 shirts is when you buy these shirts, pretty goddamn cool, man. They look good on you. I'm serious. They look really good. They're, they're well done. They're very well done. Well, thank you. It's a, it's a commitment to quality. You know, I, uh, like I mentioned before, I'm a bit of a, 
t-shirt snob uh so like if i won't i won't sell a shirt if i won't wear it myself and so we use the absolute highest quality fabric you know that you can use for shirts you know we use the screen printing most of the time that <laughs> sometimes the designs call for a different print process but like we use screen printing on high quality shirts we want it so that like if you buy a shirt to help your neighbor across the street because we happen to be helping you know that person or whatever and you bought it just like yeah sure i'll help joey no problem i'll order a shirt or whatever we want it so that when that shirt arrives and you pull it out of the bag, if it's, your, if it's your first order ever, that you're like, holy crap, this is a really nice shirt, you know? Yeah. Um, and so that hopefully in the future, that encourages people to come back and buy a shirt maybe for a stranger only because they, they fell in love with the quality of the shirt. So we're not, you know, I'm really big on the customer service angle and making sure that no one ever leaves unhappy after having an interaction or you know a transaction or however you want to put it with us because so much depends on it like we exist to help people so if i piss you off or i send you a crappy product you're not going to buy from us in the future and that means some future family is getting penalized because i didn't do my job well and right. i can't have that yeah i hear you man i'll tell you this when i've talked to you several times whether it's on this podcast in person and dms whatever have you, and you're always, whether it's Bill's Mafia or 26 shirts, one of the things that I've always admired about you is you're very quick to deflect praise that goes to yourself and spread it out amongst everyone else. Again, whether it's Bill's Mafia, whether it's 26 shirts, your business, whatever have you. But the fact does remain at the end of the day, although you do give credit to everyone else, in some ways, you've kind of become the celebrity, the face, I should say, of both 26 shirts and obviously Bill's Mafia as well. Kind of like almost a, a bit of a, a local celebrity of sorts. You know what I mean? I constantly see you on video bits, on local news and stuff like that, being asked to be on podcasts such as mine, things like <laughs> this. And I think to label you as a local celebrity at this point, I, I feel like that's kind of a, a fair label to place on you. Do you agree with that? I don't know. I, I, I actually, I hear that. I don't want to say a lot, but I hear that sometimes. I always say, and I always say, I'm a celebrity. I'm a Z-list celebrity. <laughs> it's like, you know, I mean, like most people, I don't think know who I am and that's fine. I don't care if they do or not. And it's not why I do this stuff, but you know, it is kind of weird going to a Bills game sometime and somebody wants to take a picture with you or something. I'm like, oh, okay, sure. Me? My wife laughs every time. She's like, this guy, you want a picture with this guy? <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I don't know. It really is like these things that, you know, I get credit for it. not to double down on it, you know, but, or, or be coy or whatever, but really, I mean, like it's all bills fans, you know, and I happen to be on sometimes the tip of the spear on some of this stuff, but really it's, 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 it's every, you know, bills fan, um, which bills mafia stuff exists or it succeeds and same with 26 shirts, but I appreciate the kind words. Thank you. Um, I just feel really, as you can tell, maybe I feel awkward. I don't, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to be anything, you know, I'm just trying to help people and have fun and enjoy, you know, the roller coaster ride that is being a, a Bills and Sabres fan. I'll tell you what, let's, before, this is the last thing I kind of want to hit on here. So the birth of Bills Mafia, the birth of 26 shirts, it all originates and stems from you first and foremost, being a fan of the Buffalo Bills. Now, this has been a fun season. We're three quarters of the way through, nine and three right now, looking very good, very promising to make the playoffs. Although, you know, I still remain cautiously optimistic. I'm sure a lot of Bills Mafia members out there feel the same exact way. But anyway, 
It's been a fun season. It's a good time to be a Buffalo Bills fan. This is a young team that seems to be ascending together as a unit at the right time. A team that might just very well might be built to last. This might not be a one and done run team like that 2017 or the 2017 team kind of felt like. How was it for you this past weekend to watch a game on Thanksgiving, a Bills game, which I, I'm going to be honest with you, before the game, I was not comfortable about it whatsoever. I was like, when I first saw that schedule that came out all the way back last April, I did not like this at all. I'm like, I don't want my Thanksgiving ruined by the Bills getting blown out in Dallas <laughs> on Thanksgiving, losing by 20, 30, having to hear a bunch of shit from people for days to come. Obviously, that did not turn out to be the case. So based on the Bills going out, playing probably their best game, not probably, that was their best game in the season on Thursday. How was it to have a nice, relaxing Sunday this weekend, stress-free, not having to worry about the Bills, how they're going to do, other teams around them. You got to kind of relax and just, you know, soak it all in over this weekend. Wasn't that a really nice feeling to have? It was. It was weird. Today was weird because Buffalo had like an ice storm as well, too, like freezing rain and, and all that. So the driving yeah. wasn't that great. So I wasn't too inclined to just go somewhere and do anything. So I was in the house all day. So it was really kind of, it was weird. I I I, I liked not having the stress of the bills, but I didn't like not really having anything to do. So I'm like, all right, I guess I'll flip back and forth yeah. between Baltimore and San Francisco and Cleveland and Pittsburgh, I suppose. And it, it was kind of frustrating too, because even my fantasy team, like I didn't have any players in those two games. So I'm like, well, <laughs> it was so, it was the exact opposite of pretty much every Sunday aside from the bye week that we've had. And with the bills, like it's, it, it's crazy when you think of how this roster has flipped in two years. Yeah. Uh, really. And so like all those preconceptions, uh, that I always have, you know, going into a game and it's true. I think for every Bills fan, um, whether you're, you're optimistic or, or pessimistic or whatever, but like all the, the preconceived notions that you have kind of don't count because this team is so different. It's been built from the ground up uh, aside from, uh, Jerry Hughes and one other person, uh, I guess, Lorenzo, um, like this whole roster is brand new with Sean McDermott. I'm, maybe I'm forgetting somebody, but I think I'm right there. Um, and, and so, you know, when we talk about like Billsy losses and stuff like that, like, dude, like the ownership in place has only been here for five years. Like how can, and the, the rosters for the most part, only two, two years old. How can any of this be Billsy? How could, how can we go into games and doubt? And so it was the Denver game. And I always get so scared. Like when the other team has like a third down, I'm like, Oh, they're going to make it. They're going to make it. I just know they're going to. And it was in the Denver game where like, I think, I turned a corner where I forget what it was in Granted, Denver's offense is not really great shakes, but like, um, I was like, you know what? They're not going to make it. It's third and 17 or it's third and 12 or whatever it was in that specific play where I thought that and I'm like, you know what? They're done. And I, I haven't had that level of confidence with any bills team since the Super Bowl years. Cause there's always that little thing nagging in the back of your mind. But th- now with this, with this team, I think like really and it sounds super corny, but like I've given them my heart. Like, okay, guys, yeah. this, here's my heart. Like, I, I, I believe they can beat any team. I believe they can beat any team. I believe they can beat Baltimore. Now, will they? I don't know. I think they have it in them to beat Baltimore next week, um, whether it's the coaching staff or the talent on the roster or all that combined. Like, I really think that they can do it. Maybe they have to play the perfect game, but they can do it. I'm less scared of New England at this point than I am of Baltimore in terms of the Bills' ability to win a game. Yeah. I'll tell you, it feels good to, to say something and kind of mean it. I mean, most... Bills fans, Bills Mafia people, they're going to say, well, we're going to win this game. They feel that way every way Sunday at 1230. But when you can say something (laughs) like you can beat Baltimore, and I agree with you for the record, 
They can beat Baltimore. Will they do it? I don't know, but they can do it. They do legitimately have the ability to beat a team like Baltimore. And for that alone, again, it's been a really fun season and uh, it's been a fun chat too. Everyone out there, if you haven't done so already, I don't know why you wouldn't have, but go follow Dell on Twitter at Dell Reed. And of course, go check out 26shirts.com. Again, the concept, two weeks, get a t-shirt, help out a family or a cause in need. Then that shirt's gone and it's on to the next one. So you can build a hell of a closet, man, just full of cool looking 26 shirts. Thanks as always, bro. I love having you on the podcast. It's always good to catch up with you. Oh, same, dude. Anytime you want to invite me on, I am always game. That interview was brought to you by Pulse Cellular. Today's lifestyle demands the best in wireless. And with Pulse Cellular, you have the best options available. Whether you're going with Verizon, AT&T, Sprint, T-Mobile, doesn't matter what you're using currently. You can switch to Pulse Cellular, get unlimited talk, text, and high-speed data, coast-to-coast with no contracts, no credit checks, and no overage fees. One line for $65, or you can get four lines for just $45 each. Wow. And by the way, that also includes hotspot, Wi-Fi calling, and up to 50 gigs per line. For all you travelers out there, Paul says you covered in Canada and Mexico. Plus, text and data in over 210 countries worldwide, all with the best phones. Or you can also bring your own phone. That's pretty awesome. Get the best user experience on mobile at PulseCellular.com. So before I get out of here, let the sun set on this episode. I wanted to spend a couple of minutes in relation to the Buffalo Bills talking about a guy that I feel like is not quite getting the credit that he deserves. For the success of this team this year, a team, of course, that has won nine of his first 12 games. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that he's not getting any credit at all. He is. He's getting credit around league circles. He's getting credit and love from Bill's Mafia. So I'm not saying that this guy is being neglected by any means. It's just somebody that I feel deserves even more credit than he's getting. And let me preface by saying this too. I don't have any script in front of me. I don't have any real outline or notes. So forgive me if I kind of ramble on a little bit here at times. But Josh Allen deserves a lot of credit. Okay, let's start there. He's played very well, especially over the last three or four weeks. He deserves the credit that he's getting. Of course, Sean McDermott deserves a ton of credit. He has, without question, I don't even think it's debatable anymore. He's changed the culture of this franchise. That locker room under the field, you could see it. These guys are playing for each other. They hold themselves accountable. They hold their teammates accountable and they just love each other. And they love, I know that's corny, but it's true. You can see it out there. They're having fun. They're playing good football. Shout out to McDermott. There's a ton of credit for that. The defense is elite. If not, they're there. They're elite. I'm going to call, I'm going to say it. They're an elite defense. If you're one of the top three, four defenses in the NFL, to me, that's elite. They're getting a lot of credit. But the one guy who deserves even more credit than he is getting is the general manager. Brandon Bean has done a phenomenal job of building this football team in such a short amount of time. Now, 
When you talk to Bill's media, it's one thing. But when you talk to people around the NFL in league circles, they would pretty much agree that this organization right now, the Buffalo Bills organization, is probably at least one, if maybe even two years ahead of where most thought they would be in regards to a rebuild. Because essentially, that's what the Buffalo Bills did since Brandon Bean took over as GM. They got rid of a ton of their most talented, highly skilled, best-known players, and they essentially started over with a bunch of new guys. And it's listen, they're 9-3. and three. It's worked. Brandon Bean has done a phenomenal job, and what he's done this past offseason, I'm not going to sit here and evaluate 31 other GMs around the league because I don't follow 31 other teams. So I don't know how good of a job they've done with their respective teams. But I'll say this. I have a hard time being able to fathom that any GM around the league has done a better job of retooling a football team in just one season than Brandon Bean has done in Buffalo. I mean, if you really think about it, especially on the offensive side, I mean, holy cow. Completely redone the offense in literally one off season. Trying to not use corny expressions here, but I have to. It was kind of a work of art what he's been able to do. Think about this. Since free agency started last spring, how much this football team has been reshaped and retooled, particularly on offense. Let's start a receiver. He goes out and he gets both John Brown and Cole Beasley. Now, of course, they did initially try to trade for Antonio Brown. Maybe some of this doesn't happen if that trade goes down. So maybe that was a fake intervening. And it worked out for Buffalo, obviously, because they go out, they get John Brown, they get Cole Beasley. John Brown has proven that he is very capable of being a number one receiver. Now, what your definition of a quote-unquote number one and what mine are might be two different things. To me, a number one receiver is a guy that your quarterbacks can go to in the biggest situations. He's the one who's going to make the most plays the most consistently. John Brown, staying healthy all season to this point, is showing that he can be that guy. Old Beasley, his role is growing bigger each week, especially these last two games. Six catches for over 100 yards and a touchdown against Dallas. Had a big touchdown, a big game against Denver the week before. He's really starting to find his niche on this team as well. So two really good receivers. And when you think about just one season ago, it was Robert Foster and Zay Jones. And nothing against either of them, especially Robert Foster, because I'm very much still a Robert Foster guy and think that he does have a future on this team, or if not this team, this league. I like him a lot. But what an improvement at that position. It's a critical position. You want your quarterback to do well, well, you better go get him weapons. And that's what being done in free agency. And of course, even bigger than that, and this is something that it's not sexy, so people don't talk about as often, is the offensive line. Look what the Bills have done with an offensive line in just one year. He goes out, makes Mitch Morris the highest paid center in the NFL. Now Morris has had he missed most of camp in the preseason because of a concussion. Not sure that he's quite up to 100% of what they thought he would be, but he's playing perfectly fine. He's certainly not hurting the team, and he's only going to get better. Quinn in Spain, and especially John Feliciano, two very low-key, under-the-radar, quote-unquote, grizzly vet signings. What a great job by Brandon being identifying both those guys because they've been pivotal to that offensive line this year. Pivotal. Brandon Bean recognized that last year's offensive line, 2018, was one of the worst offensive lines, 
maybe in NFL history, certainly in Buffalo Bills history. I mean, it was pathetic. It was pathetic. Jordan Mills, Ryan Groy, Miller. Seriously, that's not going to get it done. It didn't get it done. You got this big investment in Josh Allen, not just money, but resources, time, development. You better get him an offensive line. And that's exactly what the Bills have done this year. An offensive line, while not elite, not great, leaps and bounds better than it was in 2018. So right there, you got your wide receivers, you got your offensive line, and then running back. Frank Gore was such a low-key, big addition to this football team. And let me tell you what Brandon Bean did that is so low-key, under the radar, brilliant. And I mean, I don't want to take too much credit here. Actually, it was Tone Pucks who was on my podcast once who kind of pointed this out, and I never really had thought about it this way. But it's really true. It makes you realize when Frank Gore signed with the Bills on day one of free agency, I know a lot of people, and I'm including myself here, were shaking their heads. They're like, huh? All right, you know, you know we need an offensive line. You know the Bills need receivers. And they go out and they sign a running back when they already have LaShawn McCoy. Just didn't make a hell of a lot of sense, did it? So, but there's a reason. That's the whole thing. There's a big reason behind what he did. And now, as the season's played out, it's become obvious. The reason why the Bills wanted to sign Frank Gore is, first of all, he could still play football even at 36 years old. That's a big reason. But even more than that, it would be ultimately to serve as a mentor. Brandon Bean knew when he signed Frank Gore on day one of free agency that the plan was they were going to go into the draft and get a good young running back early, earlier than we expected. Going into that draft, especially after the Bills signed Gore, and then they signed TJ Eldon a couple weeks or so before the draft. It's not that fans didn't expect the Bills to address running back. It's just, I think they didn't expect the Bills to address running back before maybe the fourth or fifth rounder, if not, maybe in 2020. So we were surprised when the Bills took Devin Singletary in the third round, but it really made sense because by having Gore, there's your mentor. There's your mentor, a guy who can carry the ball when he needs to. Sometimes it might be 18 times in a game. Sometimes it might be five, but he's going to help develop that rookie on and off the field, which of course is exactly what he's done with Devin Singletary. He's played a very big role in Singletary's rookie development. But when it comes to LaShawn McCoy, and we didn't realize it at the time because they were saying what needs to be said, the, I don't think the plan was ever for LaShawn McCoy to be on this football team at the beginning of the year. First, you got to get through camp healthy in the preseason. All three guys stay healthy. If something happens, sure, you still have LaShawn McCoy, who was still and is still a decent running back at least, but he was not the right guy to have if you're going to have a rookie on this team you want to develop. LaShawn McCoy is not going to be an unselfish player. I'm not sure what his reaction would be if LaShawn McCoy is out there carrying the ball four or five times a game because a rookie is getting a lot more snaps than him. That might have become a problem in a locker room, and we all know how Sean McDermott values the culture in that locker room. So anyway, again, I told you I was going to ramble. I'll give you a warning here. Long story short, LaShawn McCoy was never part of the plan. He gets cut before the regular season and going all the way back to day one of free agency, it became obvious it was Brandon Bean's plan to sign a guy like Frank Gore, draft a guy like Devin Singletary, develop him. And now as we've seen over the past couple weeks, Singletary is becoming a much more pivotal player in this offense. Gore's kind of becoming a secondary slash complimentary running back to this team, but still serving a very big purpose. So 
Again, that was an outstanding move by Brandon Bean to go out and get Frank Gore, even at this stage of his career. And, and again, and by the way, every name I'm saying so far, this is in one offseason, one offseason. We've done all this in one offseason. Tyler Croft hasn't quite worked out a tight end, but I'm not going to write him off yet either because he's been injured. He's only played in a couple games. And because of that injury, it's opened a door for a rookie tight end to go out and make some big contributions, which he's done. And when it comes to the draft, at Oliver at nine, I don't think that required a lot of thinking. He was a widely received top 10 pick and kind of slipped to the Bills at nine. So I'm not going to give Brandon Bean too much credit for that. If I give him credit for anything, it's that there were a lot of rumors that said the Bills were going to either go up to the Jets to get Quinn and Williams at three or try to go up there, or maybe they might trade up to get at Oliver. Brandon Bean, maybe he recognized that he didn't need to trade up to get at Oliver. Bottom line, he fell to him at nine. Good, uh, good fortune, I should say. <laughs> I don't know. Again, I don't want to say good pick because I think me or you could have made that pick at nine. But Cody Ford in the second round, look, he's a rookie. The jury's still out. Bottom line is this. He's starting right now at right tackle on a revamped offensive line, and he's not killing the team. Would we like him to be playing better? Sure, we definitely would like him to be playing better. But again, he's a rookie, and at the very least, he's holding his own Ty Inseki, who would be a quality, if nothing else, death acquisition, another free agent offensive line acquisition for the Bills. He's been hurt, so that's kind of accelerated Cody Ford from being a platoon guy to a full-time starter now right tackle. He's holding his own, and if he doesn't stay at right tackle, most people, including myself, think he'll be better at guard. I like him a lot. That's kind of what I'm getting at here. A good pick by Bean. I already talked about Singletary. Got him in the third round. Surprised a lot of people. Having LaShawn McCoy on the team is still taking Singletary. I love this kid. I think he could be a star. I really do. When it's all said and done, and you look at this offense right now, and we spent all the time talking about Josh Allen, all the time talking about John Brown and Cole Beasley, Devin Singletary might be the best player on this offense. He might be that guy who in a year from now, when he really takes the reins, I could see him running for 1,200 yards, being one of the top four or five rushers in the league, catching 35 to 40 balls a year, making plays in the passing game as well. I love this kid. Very underrated, hard runner too. He's, he's elusive and slippery and quick, and we knew that. But just like Josh Allen with his legs coming into the draft, we didn't know that he would be this athletic. I did not know that Devin Singletary could run in between the tackles as efficiently as he has. I mean, this guy's breaking a lot of tackles. He doesn't go down on first contact. He's making a lot of people miss, not just, again, by being slippery, by flat out pretty much running them over. So I like him a lot. And then trading up for Dawson Knox, a tight end who pretty much had zero production in college. Zero. Zero production. But look at him so far with Buffalo this year as a rookie. Now, he's very inconsistent. He's a raw rookie. He's dropped some passes. But you know what? He's made some big-ass plays. He's made some huge plays. That catch against Cincinnati might have won him the game when he ran two people over. He stiff-armed two guys. That They might not win that game in Cincinnati were it not for that play. He's been a pretty good blocker. I like this kid a lot. So you're talking four starters, rookie starters from this draft and no less than five or six key free agents in one offseason from Brandon Bean. Like I said, you talk to most people around the league, and they'll tell you that this uh, this team is being rebuilt. They're a year ahead of schedule. I've had Adam Kaplan on this podcast, NFL Insider, 
who reiterated that on this podcast. And he was surprised at how much the bills have regressed. So Brandon Bean is, uh, he's just done a phenomenal job. And I really feel like he deserves more credit. When you look back at the Bills teams, the Super Bowl years, if you're old enough to remember and you lived them, you probably know this. If not, I'm sure you relied on reading it or hearing it from other people. But for all the stud talent on that team, the reason why they were a perennial Super Bowl team was because of Bill Polian. And I'm kind of hoping the Bills are going in that same direction when it comes to Brandon Bean. I mean, you look at Polian. And yeah, he wasn't actually technically the GM until 86. So some of the moves that were made to build the Bills, Polian was technically only the pro personnel director at the time and not the GM, although he had a very big part in the draft as well. But a guy like Bill Polian, man, he just put on a masterclass of drafting and personnel moves. Now, the difference between a guy like Polian and a guy like Brandon Bean is that back in those days, it wasn't unrestricted free agency. So you couldn't go out and sign all these guys you pretty much had to do it through the draft or through trades and free agency pickups after guys would get cut and such from other teams. But you look at Polian and that Bills organization in the mid to late 80s and what they did, how they built that team. It wasn't all, I mean, Bruce Smith, first overall pick in 85, again, kind of like Ed Oliver this year. I don't want to give a lot of credit for that because anybody could have identified Bruce Smith as a top defensive player in the draft. He was the consensus number one. But then there's other things. I mean, Jim Kelly in 83, going all the way back there, you know, there was, and I know this sounds absolutely silly to say now, but Tony Eason, Ken O'Brien were two very highly coveted quarterbacks coming out of college. They were both first rounders. The Bills easily could have taken one of them over Jim Kelly, and they did it. You go back to 83, a guy like Daryl Talley in the second round being drafted, how big was he in the future? I look at this current Bills team and I see a guy like Matt Milano was drafted probably in hindsight now, and I'm sure 31 other GMs would agree with this, way lower than he should have been. Matt Milano's not a fifth round linebacker. He looks like a first round linebacker. That's how Daryl Talley played his entire career. Trades. They traded for Cornelius Bennett on draft day in 87. They took Nate Onums in the second round in 87. Thurman Thomas, Hall of Fame running back, second round pick in 88. Andre Reid, a couple of years before that, 1985, the same year as Bruce. People forget, dude, Andre Reid did not get picked into the fourth round. You know, getting a guy like Will Wolford, who he turned out to be one of the best left tackles in football, but he wasn't a, a glamour pick for the Bills at the time. 1986, first round pick. Again, Cody Ford. I remember when the Bills, they traded up in the second round to get Cody Ford. I remember a lot of talk, myself included, DK Metcalf, there's wide receivers out there. The Bills were perceived as needed a receiver and Cody Ford was not a sexy pick. Either was Will Wolford at the time. So maybe Cody Ford turns out to be the same type of player. But anyway, going back to that era, trading for a James Lofton, a guy who many people thought was washed up. Clearly he wasn't. He still had something left in the tank. Getting good role players like, like a Kenneth Davis or finding Steve Tasker on the waiver wire and, and, you know, in the garbage bin who got in cut by, I believe it was Houston. Again, you have to remember free agency had really started in that era. So my point is this, that team was built with a bunch of low key free agency moves or not free agency moves, draft picks and trades and stuff like that. This Buffalo Bills team right now is being built with a bunch of low key moves and free agency that quite frankly, I mean, they look good now. 
Go back to last March and April. Tell me who around the league was saying, oh my God, what a great move. The Bills signed John Brown. Oh, wow, I can't believe they got a big steal with John Feliciano. Or Frank Gore, man, that's really going to help out this running game this year. No, nobody was saying that. They were just sightings. You know, Cole Beasley got a little bit of hype in part because he came from Dallas, Mitch Morse, because he was the highest paid, again, highest paid center in NFL free agency. So that kind of made some headlines. But for the most part, these were low-key moves. Quentin Spain, especially. You know, he's been playing solid this year at left guard. Randy Bean deserves a hell of a lot of credit. This team is 9-3. and three. They got a month left. And we're talking meaningful December football, Buffalo Bills football, games that mean something in December. What more can you ask? Brandon Bean, you've done an incredible job. All righty, that is going to do it for this episode. Very big thank you again, Del Reed. I'll tell you what. One of the most genuine, down-to-earth, good human beings that I've ever met in my life. I love Del Reed. You know him, I'm pretty sure. You feel the same anytime I get an opportunity to get Del on the show. Talk Bill's Mafia. Talk about the team. Talk about his 26 shirts. Whatever it may be. Today we talked about Pancho Billia. You could feel the emotion in Del's voice when he was discussing him. I just... I love Dell. I can't say enough about him. Great guest. Thank you very much again, Dell. Coming up on the show Friday, I'm going to have Lindsay OK. She's an NFL blogger who lives near Baltimore. Also a pretty big presence on social media. I'll talk to her about the Bills Ravens. We'll get you set up for what's going to be a very big game on Sunday. Look forward to talking to her. Guys, if you have not done so already, please go ahead and subscribe to this podcast. Rate and review all that fun stuff. It really helps me continue to grow this podcast a lot. Of course, you can catch us on Apple, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, pretty much anywhere future award-winning podcasts are found. Also, next time you're on the internet, go hit up YouTube, type in Analytics Podcast, subscribe there as well, a completely separate channel from the podcast. You'll find clips, highlight clips from this show on there, but you'll also find plenty of original audio content stuff that will only be on that channel nowhere else. So go hit that up. Then last but not least, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Hammeran Tweets. Constantly tweeting out podcast updates, upcoming guest polls, prize pack giveaways. Haven't had one in a couple weeks, but we'll definitely be having another one very soon. Dealing with impersonators lately. There's a fake Pat Moran Twitter account going out right now. I'm kind of getting a kick out of that thoughts, all kinds of other stuff going on there. So again, at Pamoran Tweets, thank you again very much for listening. I say it all the time. I really mean it. I appreciate each and every single one of you that take time from your day, whether it's at work, the car, the office, gym, home, wherever it may be, you're listening to this show. That means a lot to me and it very much humbles me. So thank you again. Have a very good week and we'll be back with a brand new show, Lindsay OK on Friday. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye.